Hello, my name is Emily McGinley and I serve as the executive pastor of Urban Village Church. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. Our passage for today comes from Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. Listen for what God is saying to you today. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them, the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding and living out of this scripture passage. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time to come together to reflect on what it is that you might have to say to us today. And so I pray that wherever we find ourselves um, listening to this and contemplating uh, your message, um, that you would help us to uh, pay special attention to what it is that your spirit might be saying to us to clear away those things that clutter up our hearts and our minds so that we can be attentive to your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, a story was published by the Washington Post about how policy analysts at the Center for Disease Control had received a list of words to avoid using in their budget requests. Words like vulnerable, transgender, entitlement, evidence-based, fetus, diversity, and science-based were on this list. These words were suggested to avoid because they were likely to be received unfavorably by lawmakers who have the power to impact the center's funding. This was shocking and outraging to folks for lots of reasons, but as with any political power, lawmakers and representatives understood how words and rhetoric can be used in particular ways to achieve specific ends. Words control the narrative, shape thought patterns, and frame worldviews. And so whenever I reflect on this passage, I remember those so-called banned words and the ways that words were used even back then when Mary and Joseph were on their epic road trip to Bethlehem because, well, let me put it this way. A long time ago, there was born a child who grew into a highly revered man. This man had many titles, divine, son of God, Lord, redeemer, God from God, liberator and savior of the world, just to name a few. He came to bring peace, and when people talked about his birth, they said it was the beginning of a new creation, and that he was born from heaven and had brought peace to the land. This man, of course, we all know as none other end. Well, how about we say his name together on the count of three? One, two, three. Caesar Augustus. I'm sure that's exactly who you spoke out loud. Of course, 
uh, most people, uh, Christians at least, uh, would recognize this as as language being used about Jesus and Jesus' birth. Well, but words shaped reality then as much as they do now, perhaps even more so. In fact, a lot of what you hear written in the Gospels and even in Paul's letters to the early followers of Jesus were all about co-opting imperial dominant culture language to redefine what power was and who had power. Evangelism was first about sharing the good news of Caesar's gospel long before it was a sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as a responsible, thoughtful Christian, I know, which I know you are, who understands that the Jesus we follow is a Jesus that disrupts our structures and systems of oppression, it is essential to remember that the titles and attributes used to describe Jesus are some of the very same titles and attributes used to describe Caesar Augustus, who ruled the empire during Jesus's life and was the face of oppression and imperialism. And not only that, but they were first used about Caesar Augustus. And so this story about Jesus being born, everything about it is a direct counter-narrative to the the stories that folks have been told for generations about their divine ruler, who told them that war was peace and that hungry hearts and parched souls could be satiated by bread and circuses. When Jesus later describes himself as the bread of life and living water, maybe you can see that he's not just being poetic, but also very political. And so this Prince of Peace, which Luke describes, is wholeheartedly opposite to what the people have become accustomed to. He was not an almighty ruler with legions of armies. He was a vulnerable, poor baby who was born homeless. The divine son of God didn't have big banks or the latest defense technology backing him. He had swaddling cloths. And instead of the brightest minds or the most polished courtesans, the savior of the world had nothing but his parents and a few stable animals to keep him company in those early days. But of course, that's not the only thing we can get out of the story. There's something deeper and maybe even a little more painful to comprehend. The way that Christians tell the story of Jesus is that God came to earth in human flesh. And we've heard it so many times, it'd be easy to fly right by it. But, well, I've been thinking a lot about pain and sorrow and poverty and power. I've been thinking about the people who would rather be jobless than return to jobs that eroded their humanity and the people who found themselves seriously questioning their priorities and values after two years of ongoing disruption throughout the pandemic. I've been thinking about those who have been stuck in cycles of depression on top of weariness, on top of grief at all these years have stolen from them. I've been thinking about disconnection, not just disconnection from life pre-pandemic to life now or disconnection from the person I thought I was, but I'm coming to realize I am no longer, but disconnection from church and community and the opportunity to weave new relationships and begin new paths. And I know that this kind of existential angst does not sound like the kind of cozy week three Advent joy sermon that we're all expecting or wanting in order to get into the Christmas spirit. But, you know, I'm not done, okay? Because I've been thinking about these things and how isolating and despondent and despairing our human experience can be. And as I look at people scratching and scraping to get as far away from that kind of human pain as possible, numbing themselves in whatever form they can access, Detachment through wealth, a stiff drink at the end of the day, compulsive shopping. Did you know that people are buying 20% more stuff than they were pre-pandemic? 
I've been thinking about these things, and frankly, it's in seeing how desperate we all are to get away from the pain of being human that I spy with my little eye the truest miracle of that strange night millennia ago. That God saw the lonely, messy, human existence that is often ours, and instead of decreasing the dist or increasing the distance, created a creating a cushion to avoid the pain, God came close, like so close, so close, God could smell our breath and hear that faint little wheezing that happens when you're trying to breathe through a stuffy nose. So close that God could taste our fear and anxiety, touch our nervous hands, could see the way we sometimes feel like we are barely holding it together. God saw, understood, comprehended. And instead of walking backwards out of the room, God leaned in close and joined us in our pain and confusion and anxiety. How many of us are willing to do the same, really? And so here is the Christmas, here is the miracle of how a weary world can, as the Christmas hymn claims, rejoice. God became human and didn't just hang out with all the good-looking, wealthy, intelligent, clever people. God came and made entry into this world with no health care coverage and no color-coordinated nursery with a three-in-one crib. God came to earth in the most basic model Ford Fiesta human form that ever existed and deemed it good enough, good enough to make a life in. And this is the good news. Comforting, hopeful, rejoice-worthy news. Because the message of Advent, the person of Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word meaning God with us, reminds us that we don't have to be afraid or embarrassed of our pain or sorrow or poverty, that our worth isn't defined by productivity, a lie fed to us by capitalism. Emmanuel shows us that grief, trauma, weariness, and rest are not things to be ashamed of, but rather must be given space to unfurl properly. And even more than all of that, the message of Advent and the joy that it grants is a reminder that God is with us in it, the good, the bad, the beautiful, and especially the ugly. Not because God has to, but because God wants to. God wants to be close. God wants to join us in all the ways that we experience joy and pain and community and betrayal, not like some kind of year abroad adventure or semester long internship, but to sit with us and in all the things that make us human and show us how even with all of that, the skin we live in is still worth living in. What God did so long ago was dramatically counter to what our instincts tell us to do in order to survive every day to flee pain, to pursue safety. God gave up all the trappings of godliness, the things that make us feel safe and powerful and in control, to love us, and especially the least among us, to companion us in our humanness, to dismantle all the things that make us less human, that convince us to be less human and help us be liberated in every way. It's no mistake that Luke gave those grand titles to a baby whose birth announcement went first to a handful of shady dudes working the night shift in the fields and a few foreigners. It's no accident that this baby became a refugee and a foreigner himself the first 12 years of his life. 
It's in these kinds of circumstances, scrapping and scraping to make a way and stay alive, that God could show us how real God's love is and how very much not alone we are. God is not afraid of our pain, of our impossible circumstances and ugly moments. In fact, God is most present when we choose to face them, engage them, and lean into them with grace. And so the Advent message to us in these weary days in our weary world, for our weary souls is this. God is with you so that you can be with yourself, so that we can be with each other, so that we can remember how not alone we are, and so rejoice anyway. For what is a greater F you, and, and by F I mean fa-la-la-la-la, of course. <laughs> there is no greater fa-la-la-la-la you in a world to our weary circumstances than to choose a prophetic, stubborn, defiant joy that shout sings God's miraculous presence among us. And for that, I say thanks be to God. Amen.